the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond, but at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. As always, thank you so much for tuning in today. Uh, this this is a weird one, and it's it's going to go a lot of places, uh, Noel, but it's going to start with, fun fact, one of the very few animals on this planet that I actually don't care for. And you know I'm a real, I'm a real softy when it comes to animals in general. I know. You're a real animal lover, Ben, and my name's Noel, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm an animal liker. I don't know of a lover, and I know that in your book that would probably make me something of a sociopath, but I promise I'm a nice person. I, I do like animals. I just, you know, uh, there's some I could take or leave. Well, uh, you know, we can agree on the subject of today's episode for sure. I mean, uh, the best of us, uh, super producer Casey Pegram, probably doesn't even like these animals. Uh, he's on adventure, so he, he might not have a comment today. But I, I think it's safe for us to say that all three of us are, are fairly anti-flea. The three, yeah, oh yeah, the three of us, me, you, and super producer Casey Pegram. That's right. But, <laughs> but uh, to bury the lead here, we have a, a fourth today. Well, actually, it, it's it, it's a it's a third because Casey's on adventure. So uh, we've been teasing this for an age, but uh, we're finally making good on our promise to bring back to Ridiculous History. I present to you. Gabe Lussier. Oh, hey, thanks, guys. Very, uh, very nice welcome back. I feel uh, feel good to be here. I know last time we uh, we chatted about cats. 
for a good long while. Mm-hmm. So it's only fitting, mm-hmm. I think, that uh, we talk about another kind of animal often associated with cats today. Oh, that's right. It didn't even occur to me. I mean, it couldn't be a more like polar opposite in terms of, I don't know, maybe there's similarities. Uh, you know, uh, cats can be a little aloof and perhaps there's some aloof fleas out there. Oh, I don't, I don't know. know, man. Fleas are pretty extroverted. They're like, they're, they're all about it. Uh, I I hate them, but I'm fascinated (laughs) by their abilities. If they were person sized and you know, the environment was such that animals with their kind of carapace could survive at that size, they would be a world ending threat. And how do they hop like that? How do they hop? (laughs) It's those legs, man. It's those uh, those powerful back legs. But I'm, I think we'll but get to so that. But they're so tiny. They look little. They look so. I mean, again, look. Not that I've ever actually examined a flea up close. Um, they 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 really just look like little specks when you look at them with the naked eye. But uh, contained within those little black specks are multitudes. Mm-hmm. This is interesting. So, Gabe, one approach I thought would be illuminating today uh, would be for maybe you to tell us a little bit about what inspired you to go down this, let's not call it a rabbit hole, let's call it this this flea hole. What mm-hmm. what brought you into this uh, strange circus of obscure research? Yeah, uh, that's actually an easy answer. It is Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> that's uh, the first movie I actually have any memory of watching as a kid. And I return to it pretty frequently because it's a great movie. And um, one of the scenes that always stuck with me, it was my, you know, that movie was my first introduction to a lot of things, dinosaurs, theme parks, uh, shirtless Jeff Goldblum, and also flea circuses. Um, If you recall, there's that scene towards the end of the movie where uh, John Hammond, the creator of Jurassic Park, waxes uh, philosophical about one of his older careers, how he started out in the entertainment business. uh, And it was with a flea circus. And that was the first time I had ever heard of such a thing. They really colored the way I looked at it from then on. I assumed, uh, like, if you'll remember, his circus was a mechanical one, right? Like, all of the attractions mm-hmm. uh, were run by gears and, and switches and that kind of thing. And there were actually no fleas featured. Right. That colored my way of looking at flea circuses uh, pretty much up until about a week ago, I guess. Um, <laughs> I assumed they were all fake. And I, 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 I got to do it though, or as John Hammond would have said, it was flea, flea circus, flea circus, <laughs> flea circus. The, the, right. the fleas, the we, fleas. We fleas on trapeze. Yeah. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we, that's exactly right. We fleas on trapeze. Oh, Gabe, so good. It. You really nailed it. Uh, that cadence. I love his uh, lilting delivery. But fun fact, I, I didn't know this until recently, and, and I'm sure many people are going to just say like, uh, duh, no. Uh, the actor that played John Hammond is, is uh, David Attenborough's brother. Yeah, that's right. I actually I included a, a link in our our research doc about with um, mm-hmm. Attenborough talking about flea circuses. He's he's got one in front of him. So I always thought when it, when I thought of flea circuses, I perhaps unfairly, well, definitely unfairly, relegated them to the world of of novelty tents in the circus. You know, the stuff on the periphery, like okay. Sorry, Johnny, we uh, we got here too late to see the lion tamer and the elephants, <laughs> but there I can technically tell your mother that I did take you to see some animals. Come with me to mm-hmm. the little tent. Yeah, it's like a C tier attraction, right? Yep. <laughs> yep. Yeah, um, yeah, that's kind of how I looked at it too. Especially since you know, in my mind, it was all fake. But 
<laughs> what I found out um, in researching for this episode is that it wasn't always like that. Back in the original days of flea circuses, there were actual real live fleas um, performing. There was no uh, mechanical illusion to it. So fleas can be trained? Is that what you're saying? Uh, Yeah, (laughs) that's fair. Uh, Debatable. Okay. okay. Uh All right. Okay. So, so some, some hucksterism involved on, on, in both genre of flea circus. Yeah. Well, one thing that was interesting to me uh, that I was fascinated to find out was that leading up to their career in the circus, fleas actually uh, had had another job in entertainment. They were kind of like a Vanna White or kind of like those models that, you know, lounge on exotic sports cars at conventions. Uh, it, it, this was, I mean, cars weren't invented at this time, but they were they were like a uh, an add-on piece of advertising for watchmakers, right? Yeah, that's right. It's a very disturbing image you've painted of uh, giant fleas lounging on cars. But uh, yeah, it's it's accurate, more or less, because the origins of uh, flea-based entertainment, I guess we can call it, goes all the way back to the 1500s with watchmakers, as you mentioned, and jewelers, too. I guess I don't want to leave them out. But uh, yeah, the first uh, the first guy to do this on record was this London watchmaker named Mark uh, Scaliot, I think. What do you guys think? Mm. Scaliot? Scaliot. Scaliot. We're going with that. It wouldn't be an episode of Ridiculous History if we didn't like waffle struggling for a pronunciation. So thank you for keeping the spirit of the show alive. Mm. Oh, sure. And he's from from London, so Scaliot is is probably pretty close. We'd be in deeper water if he was, you know, uh, Eastern European than it's anybody's game. Who even knows where that is? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so this guy, Mark Scaliot, which is definitely how you say his name. He's credited with having made, uh, let's, let me find the, a good description here. Uh, so he made a lock, which consisted of 11 pieces of iron, steel, and brass, all of which um, together you know, made this little lock, which had a key to it. And if you added all that stuff up, it was so small, it only weighed uh, the equivalent of one grain of gold. So this was super, super tiny stuff. But he didn't just make this lock and key system. He also made other very tiny objects. And the idea was to kind of flout his craftsmanship, right? He could work um, with these, you know, very intricate, tiny details, um, like the inner workings of a watch or, you know, the clasp of a necklace or whatever. So to kind of show off his skills as a watchmaker, he would make these very tiny little objects that still functioned, like the lock and key system. But he didn't stop there. He also made a a chain of gold that consisted of 43 links. And once he had that made, he would actually attach it to the neck of a flea. What? Flea flossing? (laughs) Did he have something going on with that flea? Was that like his side flea? Unclear, but he did not want to let it out of his sight. He actually (laughs) yoked this little guy uh, with this kind of golden leash that he made. And this was a way, again, of kind of advertising his services. I assume he was doing this, you know, maybe in the his shop window or, you know, just outside of his shop in the street. And um, the idea was, you know, see what fine work I can do on this tiny level. You know, if I can do this with a flea, if I can leash a flea, then surely I can handle, you know gears and and springs and stuff inside a watch. We've all been there. You know what I mean? We've all had that thought process, right? Yeah. No? Only Uh, watchmaker in the crowd? (laughs) (laughs) 
well, I'm fascinated by it. It just seems like a lot of work and a lot of tiny parts that I would likely lose very quickly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you lose one little gear and, and your whole watch is shot. So I, I leave that to the professionals. Yeah, I think that's a good call. Yeah, I should point out the watches I make are, are huge because otherwise I would instantly <laughs> lose all kinds of stuff. That's what we use for the timer in uh, the Quister segment. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. true, but be careful with that one, Noel. We've been getting away with it for so long. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we... what you guys are describing is a clock, right? Uh, a large okay. watch. Okay. Not All to right. be that guy, but. All right. Dr. Professor over here. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. Right. Pump your brakes on those degrees. Right. No, I'm kidding. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Uh, but you're describing something that I think is going to give uh, a lot of folks in the crowd today uh, an immediate question. And I think it's a question that will come up multiple times in this episode. Fleas are just so, so very small. I feel like the mm-hmm. casual passerby would just be able to see the chain, right? Unless they were very close or there was a magnifying glass or maybe there's, oh, you know what? Maybe it is. It's the 1500s. Not a lot of people could afford watches in the first place. So he's probably presenting these maybe, right? To his limited customer base. 
Yeah, well, I'm not so sure about all of the details, but I do know that he wasn't relying on people's eyesight, right? He wasn't he wasn't taking the flea for a walk on this little golden leash by himself. Instead, he made another very tiny, you know, handmade object, a chariot. And once you got the chariot and you have your harness and you have a little tiny flea to pull it, I mean, you got yourself a street show, right? Like that's going to that's going to catch some eyes. How is this chariot moving, right? Right? <laughs> uh, I think the word you're looking for is parade. Parade is what uh, is what they call that. Uh, sorry, I'm just I'm just being pedantic back at you. Sorry, yeah, sorry. I appreciate that. <laughs> uh, but no, I mean, this really was, though. This was how these guys would advertise. It started in the late 1500s, but they were doing this all through the 1700s. Like this uh, took off. It's not an isolated thing. We can question why, you know, it was a different era. But for whatever reason, mm-hmm. people were really drawn in by this. So the really interesting thing about this time to me is that the fleas weren't really the star of these watchmakers and jewelry uh, and these jewelers shows, it was really the, the miniature objects that were, that they were making. Those were the stars, Um, the little chariot, the little lock and key, the, the little tiny harness. And that seems, you know, kind of strange, but at the time, again, we're in like the 1700s now people in Northern Europe, you know, countries like Germany and Holland and England, they were like way into miniature houses or, uh, cabinet houses mm. as they called mm. them i mean we would just call them doll houses but these were adult doll houses they weren't really for kids and they often didn't even have dolls in them it was mm. um it was kind of like the feminine counterpart to the cabinet of curiosities if that Got makes any it. sense so yeah, you know yeah, yeah. The, the husband would gather all of these kind of you know eccentric eclectic exotic objects from his travels and store them in this cabinet and show them off to visitors who would come over But women of the era didn't get out of the house so much. So what they would do instead was they would build a miniature house in a cabinet and they would have these, you know, super detailed, tiny pieces of furniture and utensils and other household objects. And they would just go to town decorating this thing. And when they had visitors over, they would walk them through each of the little miniature rooms. (laughs) Please witness my miniatures. Indeed. <laughs> it's funny. There was a bit of a, a, a moment not terribly long ago or maybe a few years ago where there were really popular YouTube videos of uh, uh, this thing that was big in Japan of like cooking tiny food. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. For with, hamsters like, and with, stuff, right? I guess it was never. No, I don't think. I mean, it could, certainly could have been. But the ones I saw were just for the pure pleasure of it. Oh, wow. uh, but they would be like on a tiny stove where you'd put a little one of those like, uh, what do you call those candles? Tea, tea light candles, mm-hmm. like inside this tiny stove and then put a tiny thing and they'd scramble a tiny egg or just a little bit of egg and make a tiny omelet and plate it uh, and then have tiny chopsticks on it. That was a whole phenomenon. Uh, it seems to have gone away, but clearly, uh, you know, similar vibes there. Oh yeah. It's still, yeah, it's still there. And what's interesting about that is that in this case, it seems that those hamsters or rodents were themselves ancillary to the larger conceit of building the, or cooking very tiny food, just like the fleas were Kind of just a, a new, uh, like a little action figure to put in your Voltron of whatever cool toy uh, you were showing off. And then, you know, that way, maybe when you had people over, they would be more likely to visit because they would be like, I cannot go to Wilhelm's again. All he does <laughs> is show us those miniatures. And then someone says, no, he's got he's got 
uh, uh, you know, it's active now. Yeah. He's got fleets. And, and and how dare you call it a toy? This is uh, yeah, this is a, an artifact. This is an artifact. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. yeah. That's yeah no that's exactly right. There is a strange long history of of kind of miniatures being paired with with showmanship and, and being made into some kind of an attraction. Whether it was just walking your visitors, you're know, forcing your visitors to appreciate your tiny little house, or making a little chariot and harnessing mm-hmm. a fleet. It was all about the small object at first, um, mm-hmm. but that started to change because of one man from Italy a acclaimed showman known as, here we go. This one's going to be a little harder. Let's say Louis Bertolotti? Bertolotti? Bertolotto. Bertolotto. There we go. Bertolotto. Yeah. I think between the three of us, our powers combined, we have a halfway decent uh, pronunciation. (laughs) Bertolotto. I hear the key is is to move your hands when you say it. That helps. Sort of throw your hands up when you hit that, uh, that L. Bertolato. Bertolato. Okay, I got it. I think I got it. Oh boy. <laughs> I keep digging this hole. But uh but yeah, this this guy is already a showman, right? He's not having one of those moments where he's working as a as a clerk or something and, and takes a hard pivot in his life. Uh he is he's in the eighteen hundreds though, right? Sometime after the watchmaker craze. Yeah, I'm my understanding is, you know, the watchmaker thing started in 1578 with that guy we mentioned that went pretty much all through the 1700s with uh, still this only kind of being used to advertise watches and jewelry and that kind of thing. Um, and it was in the 1800s. So a little while later um, where the focus kind of shifted and the fleas became the star of the show um, instead of the miniature set pieces. And we have this paradigm shift thanks to this Italian impresario we mentioned, Louis Bertolotto, who uh, made his Nailed living it. in London and decided to put the fleas to work, basically. Yeah, yeah. So he he saw an opportunity, and we know that he would have been aware of this context, right? He would have he was not the first person to think of this, uh, but at the time, what I what I get the sense of. Uh, from some of the research you dove into, is that it's not like maybe he was particularly financially desperate, but he hadn't really made it to the upper echelons of being an impresario. So this this is something that's maybe new to his area. It, it has that tinge of otherness. And then it's also original, because at this point, where he's at in Italy, Nobody is going to blow it up as much as he is. He's he's the he's like the guy who said, "Let's make the flea the star of the show." And and economically, it makes sense because look, we're very careful not to dunk on the past here on ridiculous history. But some observations are true, and one of those observations is uh, there were a lot of fleas in Europe at the time. It was it was very it was not expensive to get them the way it would be to like get a tiger or a yeah, bear. No, that's that's absolutely true. It, it made economic sense. I mean, I think this guy was, yeah, a, a bit of a self-proclaimed impresario. Like, I don't think anyone at the top of their game is like, I know what I'm going to do now. The next natural step is a flea circus. But he had entrepreneur in his Facebook 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, top of his game. Uh, but no, yeah, he saw these watchmakers and jewelers doing this kind of thing, and he was like, well, okay, I don't know how to make a tiny chariot or anything like that, and I'm not interested in selling watches, but, like, you guys have been burying the lead here, right? Like, these fleas are pulling chariots, and, like, what else can we get them to do? So he rounded up a bunch of them, and he started, you know, um, either, I'm not sure if he built the sets himself or if he commissioned them, but one way or the other, he put together a little circus um, and he had he had the old favorites, right? Like his fleas pulled tiny carriages and chariots, just like the other guys. But he also had dancing fleas and the music they danced to was provided by an orchestra, which was also composed of fleas playing tiny little instruments. And so that was something like beyond what the jewelers and watchmakers had done before. But Bertolotto took things even further than that because he actually had his fleas like reenact the battle of Waterloo. That was his big act. And and remember this was in the 1830s. So it had only been like 15 years since that battle. Like it wasn't that long ago, which is that that's my question. Is that in poor taste? Mm. Like if 15 years after, um, an intense conflict in Vietnam, I don't think people would want to see that reenacted by animals. I don't know. Maybe I'm putting human judgment on too much of a high horse. Well, I think, you know, history has shown us that people very much wanted to see this. <laughs> they, uh, yes. he, this guy rounded up 435 fleas for this performance. He dressed them all in little outfits. He put them in golden saddles um, on these chariots carrying tiny little swords. And he held these mock battles. And that was kind of, you know, the main attraction of his circus. And people ate it up. Like, he was incredibly successful. He actually took this thing on tour for over 50 years. Um, so for half a century, he was making a living off of this, this flea circus. Oh, wow. Uh, the, and it wasn't always the same cast, I imagine, unless I am incredibly wrong about the mm. lifespan of fleas. No, yeah, you, you got that part right. That's uh, what, one of the downsides to the business is there's a lot of turnover. Yeah. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, temp to hire, part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. 
This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something. You know, I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac Bonneville. Yeah. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I, I got to ask, like, what would I see visually? I don't understand. Like, how would he even do this? Like, a flea... Maybe I'm not I'm not a flea expert, but it seems so small. Like, what, what does an outfit look like for a flea? How, how do you even get a sword in a flea's hand, claw? I don't understand. The yeah. logistics of this uh, escape me. Yeah, it ain't easy. But uh, <laughs> I mean, that's the question, right? You had you. I think you were kind of hinting at it earlier. Why was anyone doing this? Why put fleas in a circus? Like, why fleas, right? And I think Ben, you already mentioned. These things were really prevalent, especially at the time, like way more so in the 1800s than we would find today. And they were also quick to reproduce and, you know, they drank human blood. So they were easy to feed. Right. Didn't, didn't they also spread plague? Um, well, okay. <laughs> or diseases in general. You know. mm -hmm. Yeah. So this is one important uh, clarification. These weren't dog fleas. They weren't cat fleas. They weren't rat fleas. There were over 2,000, apparently, different species of fleas in the world. And uh, these were human fleas, um, which we don't see or interact with too much now. But of course, they're still out there. It's still a thing. Uh, they're also, you'll find them on pigs a lot, not just humans. Um, mm. These human fleas were everywhere. People had them in their beds. It was a worldwide pest. Um, so one thing about these human fleas is they were a little bigger than your average flea. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, a dog flea might be like two and a half millimeters. These guys were four. So. Ooh, big boys. <laughs> and would, this, would, this, would this be sort of akin to what we think of as bed bugs today or is that something different? 
That's where people would would encounter them the most under their bed covers, and you would get really itchy. Like there's actually there's a, a Laurel and Hardy and two Charlie Chaplin films where these human fleas are like a big part of the plot. <laughs> it was it was a thing. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure hijinks uh, commenced. Right, yeah. And so this is uh, this is interesting because uh, since he has embarked upon this quite successful multi-decade career. Uh, Bertolato is getting around, uh, and he kind of spreads this. Uh, he, he spreads this novelty act to places that have probably, I, I don't know, maybe never heard of it before, or never seen it, or been familiar. Like if you're the average person in, say, North America, when he's at the height of his career, would would you have? heard of the concept of flea circuses or would you have heard of the concept of Bertolato's flea circus? I think you would have heard of it and and not seen it and had been very curious to see it. So maybe you read a report on it. Maybe there was a friend who, you know, visited Europe and came back and told you there's this crazy thing over there. They got fleas moving chariots. They're putting these guys to work. Why aren't we doing that here? Um, and at least one guy agreed in the early 1900s, uh, an American named William Heckler was one of the first uh, guys to kind of take this idea and run with it in North America. Also the inventor of the heckle, right? Yeah, of course. Right. Um, he heckled his own circus. But uh, yeah, and he, it took off here, too. Like uh, his circus could bring in more than $250 in admittance fees you know, for a single showing, which is, you know, well over three grand in today's money. So not bad, right? Not bad at all. Um, and, you know, other copycats came along, too, in North America and in Europe. Everybody kind of got in on this. They started taking these flea circuses on the road, going from town to town, like, uh, you know, medicine road shows. And over time, flea circuses just became linked with those uh you know, carnival sideshows that we're all used to seeing at the circus or, or county fairs. People, it just became an expected form of entertainment. So, okay, so, uh, you know, why fleas? I, we, you, you've definitely answered one, these particular fleas, um, because they were a little bigger and prevalent. They were available. They, they, they were uh, easily reproducible. They, in fact, they did it themselves. They were just everywhere. Um, we talked a little bit earlier about their uh, fantastic jumping abilities, which uh, that's, to me, the coolest, uh, least disgusting feature of the flea. Uh, and I think this played into it a little bit as well as to why fleas, yeah? Yeah, that's absolutely true. I mean, fleas are, you know, the best jumpers that uh, the natural world has to offer. Don't tell kangaroos. And human <laughs> fleas in particular have really strong back legs, like stronger than than the fleas you'd find on a cat or a dog. So they're mm. kind of well suited for the kinds of tricks that these guys were, were, were having them do in their circuses. And again, the other thing that we mentioned is they were really easy to care for, right? You just roll up your sleeve and, uh, you know, let them have a taste. And, you know, under conditions like that, these fleas could live for up to a year. Most of them wouldn't Whoa. make it past like three months or so. So you, you still run into that problem of kind of having to start over with a new cast every so often. But if, if you really doted on them, if you, if you nursed them, you could, you know, they could run out the calendar year. You are of my blood. Go <laughs> forth on your tiny chariot. Show Waterloo to the people. Um, <laughs> so I, seriously, they would like, like, like interview the vampire style, like roll up the mm -hmm. old sleeve and give them a taste. That's 
Very strange. They could have taken this in so many directions. You know, you've got one that lives, uh, like you were saying, up to a year. Just let that that old uh, that old flea be in its own display and call it the Methuselah flea. <laughs> Indeed, add some zeros that. to the mm-hmm. end of that one year. No one will know. Totally, no one will send know. him to the flea stud farm. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So at this point. You know, the the thing about fleas is, and I've been pretty openly anti-flea in this episode, so I hope I don't I, I hope I don't poison the well here too much. But the thing about this is that the closer you drill into their physical capabilities, you no, know, like uh, like you said, uh, the jumping ability alone, uh, you see these amazing, somewhat terrifying powers. But there's a question that we haven't answered yet. And that is that's a question we 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 kind of flea jumped around a little in the beginning, uh, which is, were they actually being trained? Can flea, do fleas actually have the capacity to learn and retain and then apply information? This gets into the art of how flea circuses work uh, and maybe why not all flea circuses are created equally. But gentlemen, I propose... That is a part two of this episode. What do you guys think? I second that. Yeah. There's a lot more to say. <laughs> and you know how much we love a planned two-parter. So uh, good, good, good on us. And yeah, plenty of uh, juicy flea uh, facts and, 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 uh, and trivia to come. That's right. We did it. Uh, Gabe, thank you so much for coming on part one of the show uh, due to the uh, contract you signed in blood uh, before we started rolling. You are obligated to be here for part two, but I, I, I no, I think you would have come along for part two anyway. What do you think? Yeah, I, I think the the blood oath was was a little extra, but uh, you know we gotta we gotta cover our bases. Yeah, we'll yeah, never know legal. for sure. <laughs> <It's true. laughs> legal is uh, legal is really into those lately, uh, which we should probably look into at some point. But uh, in the meantime. We hope that you found this as bizarre a story as we have. Join us for part two when we explore how the uh, flea circus sausage gets actually made. Flea Uh, sausage? Very gross. (laughs) Well, the United Nations has a pretty strong argument for the importance of, like, the possibilities of uh, consuming insects as protein. Hopefully, I don't think fleas are on the list. How many fleas would it take just to make, like, one sausage pat i wow <laughs> tune in next time to find out that sounds like the setup for a corny joke which is very on brand for ridiculous <laughs> how many fleas does it take to make an omelet like a flea a flea omelet you you want to make an omelet you've got to break a few fleas oh. okay well anyway that's uh that's that's gonna be our show as always thank you so much to our super producer casey pegram uh thanks as always to alex williams who composed this amazing track and gabe thanks to you man hey you're welcome huge thanks huge thanks to christopher hasiotis here in spirit who will be joining us in corporeal podcast form in the near future uh just like gabe he's a real person too we promise. Uh, we did a really fun episode with him uh, years ago about uh, cover songs, like uh, weird cover songs. That's, that was a fun one. Um, wonder what he has in store for his next appearance. You'll have to wait and find out. Uh, thanks to Eve's Jeff Coates. Uh, check out her show, This Day in History Class, and J.Ill, the podcast featuring the marvelous and, uh, and the talented Jill Scott. 
Uh, and thanks to you, Ben. Thanks for, for, for being my fleet pal. Oh, hey, thanks to you, Joel. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon Waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways, rolling vineyards, and castled hills, into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at AvalonWaterways.com. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA.